Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. In case you're wondering, I am future Matt. <laughs> I am what Matt is going to look like in 25 years. I'll take that. No, I wish I could look that good. It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. Verses 1 through 12. I want to talk to you on this theme. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God, and we believe it. In case you missed it, yesterday was the last day of Christmas. You had your 12 days of Christmas from Christmas Day until now, and your four weeks of Advent before that, and whatever day it was in October that Walmart decided to put out the Christmas decorations, you had all those days of Christmas. But today, we turn the page. Today is Epiphany on the Christian calendar. It is a day we celebrate the arrival of the wise men from the East who came to worship the Christ child, representing all of us who are in the family of God by invitation, not by birth. The Bible calls us Gentiles. 
The major symbol of this day is light. This is the day celebrated as Isaiah promised. Upon those walking in darkness, the light has dawned. This is the day of brightness, the day of revelation, the day of recognition. This is the day we celebrate the ultimate aha moment in history. This is the day of manifestation. I don't know if any of you have been around long enough in this uh, church fellowship to remember that when we first started out, the title of this effort was City on a Hill Project, symbolizing the light that a city on a hill emanates that draws people to it. This is the day of manifestation. In the marketplace of ideas and concepts and beliefs, I'll let the others say what they want to say. I want to speak for the Christian faith today. Manifestation is an extremely important concept in the Christian faith. It is, in fact, one of the things that sets the Christian faith apart from other belief systems. Why? Because what we believe is real. Amen. It really happened. The Christian faith is not a set of ideas or beliefs that have been brought together around a system of religion that defines who we are. The Christian faith is not at its core an ethic that teaches you how to live so you can please God and by following those rules or practices or disciplines someday ascend through some series of spiritual improvements until you have made your way into the presence of God. We have our beliefs. We have our ideas. We have our teachings and philosophies and systems. But they do not define us as much as they describe us. And they are not the core of who we are. The Christian faith is based in history. What happened in Bethlehem? In Judea, in Jerusalem, on the cross, at the tomb, and at the empty tomb. And what actually happened in those places at a specific time, in a, a specific way, for a specific reason. The Christian faith is based on a person, and his name is Jesus. This truth was made manifest by the events that surrounded his life. Take the star, for instance. The wise men arrived in Jerusalem at some point soon after his birth. Don't mess up your nativity scene, but they probably didn't make it to the stable. It says he was in a house by that time. They came looking for the king of the Jews that had just been born. They said they learned about it through a star 
they saw in the east. The wise men, or magi, were eastern astrologers, descendants of the Persians, who were not kings themselves, but held an interesting position in their culture. They were king makers. They were powers behind the power. In the Old Testament, they're known as Chaldeans. Along with astronomy, they were known to practice astrology, sorcery, a little magic, and a mixed bag of other tricks. And they were not Jewish, which is important to us the way things turn out. They followed the star for a long time. I'm assuming that they probably left on their trip before Mary and Joseph even left Nazareth to head toward Bethlehem. And they came because a sign had been manifested to them that a new king had been born. Whatever it was they saw in the heavens, it was a clear message to them, and they came a long way to worship the newborn king. Now here is where the world you live in will part ways with you in this story. The world you live in does not deal well with manifestations. It needs to explain away miracles. If whatever happens does not fit within the prescribed set of accepted and acceptable assumptions, they explain it away. This star is in that category. Up until now, there's no problem with the star. It's a heavenly object that has moved in its set pattern into the focal range of other set constellations, and one of those is identified by the stargazers as relating to the Jewish nation, nation and people. When this happened... Alarm bells went off at the planetarium, as it were. This event means something regal is happening in the promised land. So it must be in Jerusalem. Everyone in your world is okay with this up to this point. Why? Because it's not really an objective event. Someone says this is what that means, but everyone can still have their personal opinion about it up to this point. There are natural explanations for it. But after their conversation with Herod and the chief priests and teachers of the law, the book clearly says they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. The star moved, the star stopped moving, and this is where the world you live in walks away from this story. The world you live in will observe that, well, these are ancient people we're talking about. They did not have access to all the sophisticated knowledge we have. They're probably superstitious. 
They may not have actually said the star moved, but may have been understood, misunderstood, or maybe they exaggerated, or here's the killer, they probably were not real, but our characters added to the story to bolster the myth. And there you have it. It's all explained away. Does it matter if you believe the star moved or not? In one sense, it doesn't matter. You believing it or not believing it has absolutely no bearing on whether it actually happened or not. It either happened or it didn't. The wise men were real or they were not. The star moved or it didn't. In another sense, whether you believe this particular part of the story or not doesn't matter a great deal. You'll not be kicked out of the family for not believing that this actually happened. What matters is that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to live among us to show us what God is like, that he lived a sinless life, that he was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day. By the way, if you can believe that, you can believe stars move, okay? <laughs> and that through him, you are saved if you place your faith in him and live your life for him. That's what really matters about what you believe. But what about what Matthew says happens? Is it important that we believe it because Matthew said it? It matters to me and most other believers, and I hope to you, that we believe the word. We said earlier, this is the word of God, and we believe it. I said it, and I hope that you agreed with it. We believe what it says. It is our source of knowledge for all things that pertain to our salvation. The word is where we get the story about this Jesus who has saved us from our sins. We do not believe, we believe that it has been delivered to us in a way that has preserved its trustworthiness. And we do not believe that just on faith. We have more transcript and manuscript evidence for the scriptures than exists for any other text from antiquity. By far, no other text comes even close. So we can trust the text that we are reading to be accurate as far as what Matthew wrote. It requires faith, however, to believe that what he wrote is true. We may have different views of interpretation about some things. There are some things that are literal. There are some things that are figurative and poetic. And we may disagree on those things. But when things are presented as a historical account, they're meant to be accepted as a historical account. By and large, the Christian faith believes or requires that I believe that this word 
is God's word. So it matters to you that you understand that the manifestations like the star that are recorded in scripture are real and that they verify that Jesus is who he said he was. To the star you can add the angel's witness to Zechariah, the angel's message to Mary, the witness of the unborn cousin John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb when the child-bearing Mary spoke to her, the dream of Joseph, the message of the heavenly host to the shepherds, the testimonies of the shepherds themselves of what they saw, the rejoicing of Simeon and Anna of what they saw when Jesus was presented at the temple as a baby, the astonishment of the teachers who encountered this child at 12, the voice of God the Father at the baptism in the Jordan, temptation number two for Jesus to manifest his heavenly connection by jumping off the temple to be rescued midair by guardian angels. Satan, that's Satan's backdoor acknowledgement that the Christ's arrival would be accompanied by and verified by signs and wonders. He didn't do that, by the way. The miracle at the wedding at Cana, all the other signs of a miraculous nature, his teaching with authority that was not like the scribes and, and the other teachers of the law, the transfiguration event on the mountain where Jesus is shown in his glory in the presence of Moses and Elijah with Peter, James, and John looking on, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the overwhelming number of confirmation appearances afterwards, the conversation of his two, the, I mean the conversion of his two brothers, James and Jude. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? And his appearance to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, not to mention the more than 330 Old Testament prophecies that are recorded in the New Testament about him as being fulfilled in him or by him. And all the signs and wonders that he performed. These were all manifestations to point us to who he was and why he came. It's extremely important for you that you believe their witness. Here's why. You live in a town dominated by academia. That is a wonderful thing, but it's also a treacherous thing. In this story, you have the greatest event in the history of the nation of Israel unfolding right before them and the scholars who knew all the right answers completely missed the Messiah. I sometimes wonder, what was it that they had to do that day that was so important that they couldn't drop everything and outrun the wise men six miles to Bethlehem. There are some sad stories in the Bible. Is there anything more sad 
than the silence between verse 6 and verse 7 in our text. Is there anything more sad than the story that doesn't happen because we are too busy or distracted or sophisticated or smart to see the Lord's manifestation right in front of us? Is there anything more sad than to be the guy who knows all the answers and misses the whole point? Here's another reason why it's extremely important for you to believe their witness. There's only one king in town. Herod assumed he was the king of the Jews. True, Caesar was the ruler of the Jews, but he had his man Herod serving in the palace, wearing the crown, bolstered by the Roman occupying forces and sitting on the throne. And Herod acted like a king. He ruled with kingly ferocity. He dispatched any perceived or imagined threats. He killed his brother-in-law, whom he had appointed as the chief priest. He killed his wife. He killed his mother-in-law. He drowned two of his sons, which caused Caesar to say, it's safer to be Herod's pig, Hus, than to be Herod's son, Huyas. If you know anything about Jewish dietary laws, you get the joke there. But anyway, five days before this madman died, he had all the leading citizens of the city rounded up to be held in the arena and to be slaughtered upon his demise so there would be genuine grieving over his departure. They let them all go home after he died and they held a party instead. But you can understand that when he gets the news there's another king in town, he's disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. You know, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Like that. Except mama would whip your hiney, Herod would cut your head off. The world you live in is in turmoil right now. There are a number of people who assume they are kings. It is important for you as a person of faith, if you're going to keep your balance in all of this, to live like there is only one king and only one kingdom. Whether it looks like it or not, a baby in a manger certainly doesn't look like any king we've ever seen. Whether it looks like it or not, it's true. And for those who belong to him and his kingdom, we take comfort in the fact that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, 
the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom, government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's extremely important that you believe this. There's one more reason why it's extremely important for you that you believe the witness of the gospel, the witness of the manifestation who Jesus is. There is a difference between magic and miracles. These wise men, magi they're called, were trained in the magical arts. They knew their sorcery. We assume they did not have access to the revelation of God that we know as the Old Testament, although it is possible that they may have, we don't know. But if they did, it's most likely that it was just another book in the vast library of their wisdom literature. I assume being men of power and influence, they knew how to hold on to that power and influence. And if they were like we are, they knew how to manipulate the system in their favor when they needed to. They could perform magic. What I'm getting at here is they knew real from fake. And when they were shown the real deal, a star, these stargazers saw that actually moved ahead of them and came to stop over the place where they were to go, they were blown away. This was outside any category of previous experience for them. They knew all the stars. They knew them by name. But this star of Bethlehem was entirely different. And it confirmed to them that this baby was the king of the Jews they had been seeking. And they rejoiced with exceeding great joy as they worshiped him and presented gifts to him. The world in which you live knows every trick in the book. What arrests them it's when they see a manifestation of the real thing. Will it be a star? Probably not. Will it be a dream? Among some non-Christian groups, we're hearing of groups that are extremely hostile to Christianity. We are hearing of people being brought to faith in Christ through a dream encounter with him. So it could be a dream, but probably not. How about the Bible? Will it be through the Bible? It could easily be. It certainly has convicting power. But do you know how the people in your world are most likely to see a manifestation of Christ? A manifestation that intrigues them or confounds them? or amazes them, they are most likely to see it in your life. To quote your pastor, you, my friend, 
or the star of Bethlehem. Hear this word. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Here's our challenge. When you move to the end of this story, Matthew 26, verses 6 and 7, from the angel who rolled back the stone and sat down on it, I love that, sat down on it while he was waiting for the women to show up that first Easter morning, you hear these words. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. Your assignment is this. Come and see how an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ can totally transform your life. Then go and tell everyone you meet how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Amen. On this feast day of Epiphany, we're going to close our time together by sharing in the feast of the church. Commemorating, remembering, embracing, celebrating the saving act of Jesus Christ. God made manifest in flesh and blood. On his last night with his disciples, Jesus took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body that was broken for you. And he took the cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. My blood poured out for the salvation of the world. Every time you taste, remember me. Remember what I have done. We're going to invite you to come to the table in just a moment. There'll be a station on this side and a station on that side. And there'll be a gluten-free option on this side if you need that. And the invitation is just what you heard. Come and see. Come and see. And then go and tell. Come to the table.